uh, due to contract disputes. We don't know, but yeah, I think he's going to be a starting tackle this year. I don't know if I'd call him the starting left tackle right away. Uh, absolutely. They definitely plan on having him at guard to start is the word out there, but uh, he could definitely get that left tackle spot in the future, given uh, what lies ahead with Brandon Albert. I don't look at the rest of this Jaguars draft class. In the third round, they selected Illinois defensive end Dewan Smoot. In round four, they selected explosive Oklahoma wide receiver D. Westbrook. Round five, they selected a very promising athletic linebacker from Ohio, Blair Brown. And in round seven, they had two picks selecting a corner from Minnesota, Jalen Myra, who figures to help out on special teams. And also, uh, in addition to beefing up the run offense, they selected another fullback from Miami named Marquez Williams. Aside from Leonard Fournette, Cam Robinson, which of those other rookies do you see having the biggest impact for the Jaguars this season? Well, I think DeJuan Smith's a guy that's really interesting. I think he's going to battle Dante Fowler to be the first defensive end off, you know, onto the field. Uh, they like him a lot. His tape screams when you watch it. He's not the best pass rusher, but he's constantly in the backfield. Really good against the run. Um, Todd Wash wants to stop the run first. So I think you'll see him in there quite a bit. Um, you know, he's going to have to contend with being the backup to Calais Campbell, who's sometimes going to rotate with Malik Jackson as a three technique. So it's just a matter of how many snaps he gets. Uh, they like D.D. Westbrook a lot as a punt returner, potentially. Um, that'll be interesting to see if he can unseat Rashad Green as that guy. It absolutely will be interesting to see if he could uh, not only uh, have Rashad Green in the uh, return apart, but also maybe uh, join the pecking order for some staff on offense as well. And after the defensive side of the ball, I personally am salivating at the potential of this Jaguars defense. They have amazing talent, both young and old, on all three levels. Look at the defensive line we just talked about. They have Malik Jackson. As Malik Jackson, who thrived with Derek Wolf on that Broncos Super Bowl 50 defense, now has what he didn't have last year, a running mate in Calais Campbell that can also push the pocket from the inside. And Campbell, I think, has another Pro Bowl season or two left in it. And you also mentioned Dewan Spoof, but they also got two promising young pass rushers in Dante Fowler Jr. and Gashi Gatway, who had eight sacks last year, who did a second level of the linebackers. They got Miles Jack, who I expect to. Uh, improve a lot this year, and Pelvis Smith, who's been one of the more underrated linebackers in this league. And look at the secondary. You got uh, Gary Church, who they got from the Cowboys, and Deshaun Gibson, who, who has a reputation of being a ball hawk when he's on his game, and Jalen Ramsey, who had an amazing rookie season at one quarter. At the other quarter, they got one of my favorite players I watched on tape last year, A.J. Boy. This defense reeks of potential, and quietly, they were the sixth overall defense of the NFL last season. But uh, that uh, stat was a mirage in a way, given the fact that uh, that looking at these stats here, they were tied for 19th in the NFL with only 33 sacks, fewest in the NFL with seven interceptions, and they allowed 12 completions of at least 40 yards, which was tied for fifth most. How much better can the Jaguars defense be in terms of getting after the quarterback, creating turnovers, and preventing explosive plays this year? Well, I think you touched on it. I think Malik Jackson's got a little bit more continuity. Uh, Avery Jones, who they recited nose tackle, is a guy who can penetrate as, as a nose tackle, which is something that Roy Miller really didn't do before. Uh, Calais is going to be really a key in, in getting to the, getting to the quarterback, and, and Yannick and Gawkway, the sky's the limit for him. Um, I think I think if they blitz a little bit more, the, the former regime was really not into that. Obviously, Ty Wash was the defensive coordinator last year, but they're they're mixing around the defense a little bit more. 
gone are the Leo and the auto positions. They're more of a natural weak side defensive end and a stand linebacker. So I think you'll have an opportunity to get to the quarterback a little bit more. I would, you know, I think there's a lot of hype about this defense. It's all going to matter on how many turnovers the cornerbacks and, and safeties cause. Deshaun Gibson was terrible last year um, and seemingly played out of position most of the season. Barry Church battled an undisclosed injury throughout the offseason program, and it'll be interesting to see how he fits. The Jaguars want to have safeties that are interchangeable. We'll see how he can do in coverage. Um, Boye and, and Jalen are very strong, but behind them, they don't have a lot. They've got Aaron Colvin, who's one of the most underrated nickel corners in the league. But behind those three, there's nothing. Same as the linebacker position, they're just very – the defensive line has depth, but behind the starters, the linebacker, and in the secondary, they are in trouble. Especially if they have an injury, you're absolutely right. And uh, as you, you alluded to, the floor might not be as high for this uh, talented defense. But what do you think is the overall ceiling for this 2017 Jaguars defense? Could they be like a top three overall defense in the NFL this year if health permits? I mean, I think a lot of it has to do with the play calling. It has to do with how much they switch up this defense's team. The 4-3 under never worked in Jacksonville. Um, it just never did, and they couldn't adapt. So I think. Todd Wash, second year as a defensive coordinator, is a little bit smarter, uh, knows what he wants. Uh, he's more of an old-school guy. doesn't have to call Gus Bradley's defense. So I think they're in a better shape. I think they're going to be more of a traditional 4-3 defense. I could see them being a lot like Jim Johnson's uh, Eagles defenses, uh, you know, during their heyday and their Super Bowl years, or their NFC Championship years, where they blitz a lot and they send, they send five or six on plenty of plays. As you can tell, folks, Mike K is not just the Jaguars beat reporter for First Coast News. He also knows how to analyze this game inside out, which is different uh, than most of the other beat reporters out there, and which is why Mike is one of the best follows out of anybody on the Jaguars beat or all the other beats in the NFL. And, uh, and, and staying in that department, Mike, um, let's talk about the elephant in the room for this Jaguars team, which is Blake Bortles. Yes, the Jaguars have quietly assembled a lot of talent on this roster, but at the end of the day, without a proven franchise quarterback, you're not relevant. And Blake Bortles, uh, to be kind, he hasn't been so good so far in his career. And uh, do you think that Blake Bortles' career can be saved by this new regime, or is the goal of getting him to be a franchise caliber quarterback a lost cause at this point, in your view, based on the film you watched? I wouldn't say it's a lost cause. He is very much and does look significantly improved. The, the issue is more of his decision-making and his accuracy. Um, he struggled a little bit with that during the off-season program. I wasn't surprised by that, but uh, he returned to California to work with Tom House and Adam Theodore uh, again during the intermission between off the off-season program and training camp. I think, I think he's putting his best foot forward. I just don't know if there's that much talent there. Uh, when he was coming out of college, I had him as a late third-round pick, uh, and he got drafted third overall. So, I mean, it's one of those situations where, you know, you've got to figure it out. and take it as fifth-year option, which is kind of a good thing for both sides because it puts a lot of pressure on both of them. If Bortles plays really well, he'll get a massive extension next year. If he plays poorly and there's the team's like one and five or two and six, they should bench him because it's only guaranteed for injury. So I think it, it, it puts the pressure on Bortles and the franchise for Bortles to be good this year, and they have to do everything they can to make him look good. 
Most definitely. And say he doesn't show satisfactory improvement this year and does get that. Do you think the Jaguars will be willing to cut him after this year, considering there is no more dead money left on his rookie deal? Yes. I, I think, well, I, I think it's, it's a matter of, you know, will he see that? He, he's not going to see that fifth year of the deal in that money. I don't, I don't think they're going to play him next year on the fifth year option. They're either going to give him a huge extension if he plays really well or they're going to cut bait. I mean, that's really the only two situations there. The fifth-year option is just basically a holding uh, pattern for them so they can use the franchise tag elsewhere, in my opinion. Yeah, so they might have to use that franchise tag elsewhere because looking ahead to next year, the Jaguars are currently projected by SpotTrack.com to be more than $5.7 million over the projected 2018 salary cap. And they also have Allen Robinson and Selvin Smith, two key cogs, coming out of contract. If the Jaguars hope to keep even one of those two players, they're probably going to have to clear a lot of cap space. Do you see the Jaguars keeping one or both of those players? And which players do you think they will release in order to make it happen, aside from Blake Bortles if he plays that? I heard Alan Robinson. Who was the other name you brought up? I'm sorry. Calvin Smith. Um, I think of the two, Alan Robinson is definitely the more likely to be re-signed. If you look at the history of Dave Codwell and Tom Coughlin, and they're, they both come from the Bill Polian tree in some aspects. And Bill Polian never paid linebackers. Gary Bracken, I think, is the only 4-3 linebacker he ever paid. So, Kelvin's a weak side linebacker. That's all he is. He is just a weak side linebacker, which makes him very team-dependent. Uh, and the team has leverage. But Kelvin's also outplayed his position. He is one of the best weak side linebackers in the league. So, it's going to be a tough negotiation. Would not be shocked if they let him walk. Um and then you look at, but if, if they did re-sign him, I think if you look at Michael Kendrick's contract uh, with the Eagles, I think it's a pretty similar boat. About seven million a year uh, over four years would make a lot of sense. Allen Robinson would be smart not to sign an extension right now. He's coming off an off year. What you want to do is bounce back this year, and so he can earn even more money. Because right now the Jaguars have the leverage in that deal, and if his agent's smart, he, he'll hold off on that. Brandon Linder is another guy that I see getting an extension. Uh, the center uh, who was drafted out of Miami a few years ago in the third round. He's played center and right guard, both at a very high level. I think he's a guy that was thick and sick. Uh, when you talk about cutting, I mean, Mercedes Lewis is on kind of the last leg of his deal. Jeremy Parnell, the right tackle, probably on the last leg of his deal. I don't think Brandon Albert will be here next year. Um so there's some older guys that you can cut and repurpose, especially because you drafted Cam Robinson. I also think Marquise Lee is a guy, if you let him walk or you cut Alan Hearns, who's making $7 million next year and it's all cuttable. Uh, you know, the Jaguars are very smart about finding guys to essentially two-year deals with options after that, where there's no guaranteed money after the second year. He is Mike Hay, ladies and gentlemen, Jaguars beat reporter for First Coast News. And you will see Mike at Jaguars camp in exactly three weeks. And which position battles should Jaguars fans be paying the most attention to in training camp? I'm an old school guy. You brought up old school football earlier, but the fullback battle, Tommy Bohannon, the former Jets fullback against Marquez Williams, the University of Miami fullback who uh, lost over 20 pounds to perform at his pro day. Interesting kid, came from a Division II school. And transferred to Miami, spent one year there, and now it's an NFL draft pick. It's pretty crazy. Yeah, that'll definitely be an underrated uh, competition, especially since most of the NFL uh, doesn't use fullbacks anymore. But uh, 
based on the running back talent coming into the league. Um, I think they, there's a campaign to make the fullback great again, as they say, and it's definitely the case in Jacksonville with uh, Todd Poplin bringing that grandfather football back uh, to Jacksonville. And are there any players who made the initial 53-man roster in 2016 that will be hard-pressed to make it this year, and if so, who? That's a great question. Um, it's going to be interesting to see what happens with Neil Sterling, who was the seventh-round pick a couple of years ago. They converted him from wide receiver to tight end. Um, with the fullback addition, it's hard to see them keeping four tight ends this year, but they might. Um, we brought up Rashad Green. Uh, he's another guy. <clears throat> They've got Hearns, Lee, Robinson, and Westbrook, as you mentioned before, and I think those guys are close to as possible. Uh, the first three definitely are. And then they brought in Aurelius Ben, who Jody Camillus thinks is going to be his special team's ace. So that's five guys. So unless they're keeping six, Rashad Green's probably on the outside looking in. Uh, T.J. Elton's a guy that I would not be shocked if, if he got some trade interest, if there was a big injury in camp. Definitely. And uh, every year in the NFL, we see these candidates that come from nowhere um, who surprised the trading candidates preseason and wind up speaking down the 53-man roster. Are there any such sleeper candidates for the Jaguars this season? Huh. Deron Grant, former Pittsburgh Steelers cornerback, uh, was impressive uh, during the offseason program. They don't really have a lot of undrafted guys that I think will stick. Amba Edatawu, if, if Rashad Green was challenged for that sixth spot, uh, Edatawu uh, started Syracuse for one year after a few years at Maryland with Keenan McCardell, who's now the Jaguars wide receivers coach. He's the guy that really interests me. Um, and then I think uh, if you look at the um, offensive line, I think people are going to be really shocked to see Tyler Shatley potentially be a starting center or right guard for the Jaguars, and Brendan Linder will play the opposite position. Thank you once again, Mike, for joining the program. And we have one final question before we let you go here. Record-wise, what do you believe is the floor and ceiling for the Jaguars in 2017? I think the floor is 4-12. and 12. I think the ceiling is probably 7-9. and nine. Very interesting. And you could be right, but I think the ceiling could be 10-6 if the defense really clicks. And uh, thank you once again, Mike. He is the Jaguars beat reporter for First Coast News. You can follow him on Twitter at Mike underscore E underscore K underscore, folks. And that's all for today here on Sportsbook with you, Crowd. But we said be back with more content next week, so stay tuned. Also, be sure to check out the episode archive as well as an up-to-date blog of Mike at sportscrunch.com. And that is Crunch with a K. For Mike K, our producer Chris Godhead, and in the box, I'm David Cromwell saying so long and, of course, stay awesome.